nearly 20 years, I was just teaching New Testament and an ordinary lecturer there, really enjoying doing that, feeling very called to do that. Uh, did a PhD in John's Gospel, was enjoying a developing career as a New Testament scholar when suddenly God zapped me. And it was definitely in, in the area of emotions that I hadn't been dealing with in my life. And I went through a tremendous period of, of crisis where I was plagued by emotions I just could not understand. I mean, I won't bore you with the, with the gory details of it all, but it completely changed my life as I uh, began to get more in touch with who I really was as a person. And counselling was vital to that whole process. I empathise an awful lot with what Kate was saying about emotions and how they change your mind and your thinking and lead you into whole new ways of being. We are deeply emotional creatures, aren't we? And uh, if we don't uh, either recognise or learn to enjoy ourselves as emotional beings, then we're not going to be living our humanity well. And I really discovered all that for myself in, uh, through a period of great pain and readjustment in my life and ended up uh, not, I'm still teaching some New Testament at, at uh, LST, but now I'm actually leading the uh, theology and counselling course that we run there. It's, uh, it's a joint course where you can study both subjects, both theology and counselling, and end up with a with a counselling qualification at the end of it all. It's, it's actually a, now a BACP accredited course. If anybody knows that technical language, it's, uh, it means that we've got professional accreditation for the course. We run it in partnership with CWR. Does anybody know about CWR? Yeah? A great organisation. They have a, a stand downstairs in the exhibition, I see. I shall go down and say hi to them later on. Uh, we run our course in partnership with CWR who do counselling training, one of the leading Christian counselling training organisations in the country. Go and find out about them, do please, uh, uh, this afternoon when you have a break and can look down at the exhibition. And I've brought some bits of literature too, which I'll put on the stage here if you want to find out anything about London School of Theology and the course that, that we offer there. So you can see the title I've got for this, this little talk. Uh, it's about counselling. Promise, perils, and pitfalls for the church. And I suppose that's the focus that I've got. It's how counselling, as a specific ministry, could fit in with the life of the local church, where lots of pastoral care should be going on. And I suppose that's the setting, really, on the, on the back of, uh, of Will's talk, where he's given us a fantastic vision of a church where pastoral care is really being taken seriously. Within that setting... How could counselling have a role? I suppose, what exactly is it? So that, that gives me the agenda uh, for this little talk. This is what we're going to do. I'm going to attempt to define what counselling is for you in a way that seeks to distinguish it from pastoral care and other forms of ministry. What is counselling precisely uh, against that spectrum? Then secondly, what types of counselling are there? Just a little survey for you. Against that background, what precisely is Christian counselling uh, in that spectrum? How can Christian counselling supplement the ministry of a local church? We'll think a little bit about, about that too. Then something about uh, perils and pitfalls. 
uh, something about the, the problems that there are, and I'm going to be thinking there, I suppose, specifically about some of the questions I've been asked or some of the objections I've been faced with to counselling as a, a form of Christian ministry. And then finally, I hope there might be a little bit of time for some questions and discussion at the end before one o'clock. So that's the agenda for the, for the next few minutes anyway. Okay, so here's the, uh, here's the first bit of that, the definition. What exactly is counselling? And as I said a moment ago, I'm attempting here to see it as a distinct ministry, distinct from other forms of pastoral care or prayer ministry or whatever it is that uh, you might be involved in. So here's an attempt uh, to define it. Counselling is a bounded, contractual relationship within which two people are wholly available to each other for the good of one within a psychologically aware space and under expert supervision. All right, well, that's a bit verbose, isn't it? There's a lot of words there, but actually all those words are very carefully chosen, and I think you'll already begin to get a sense of something that distinguishes counselling as, as an activity from other forms of pastoral care, although, of course, counsellors can be involved in any kind of pastoral ministry, and if they're involved in pastoral care, they'll be using their counselling skills in whatever setting they're in, of course. But counselling as a distinct ministry uh, could be defined in that sort of way. Now let me see if I can unpack that a little bit for you. Uh, on this acetate now, you've got that definition at the top there, maybe a bit small, but I want to try and unpack some of the features of that to, uh, to draw out a little bit what counselling is all about. First of all, it's a boundaried relationship. There's something really important about the fact that counsellors meet their clients for distinct periods of time uh, which are agreed in advance and they don't meet them outside that, uh, that time slot. Why is that important? Well, it's, it's something to do with the very special relationship that develops uh, within that counselling period. Uh, the word relationship actually is one of the most important words up there and I'm coming to that in a moment. But you can't have that kind of relationship without having it boundaries. Now, uh, Will was just talking to us about boundaries a moment ago. This is a, this is a very, and, and of course people who have problems with boundaries in their lives can learn a lot about boundaries when they discover that this particular relationship only works because the boundaries are, are, are very carefully respected by both parties to the relationship. So, you know, if you're going to counselling or if you are a counsellor, then you'll know that you arrange to meet your client for an hour or a time defined in advance at a particular place and time, and that slot is absolutely 100% theirs. Counsellor knows, the client knows that that time is theirs, it's theirs absolutely, and uh, they can be confident in that. So there's something too important about it being contractual. There's a real agreement here about the way in which that space will be used. Uh, the actual content of the work will be contracted. These are the issues that I want to work on, and that will be agreed in advance. Of course, the contract can change and develop as time goes on, 
And usually there's payment as well. I greatly regret that, but uh, counselling training costs a lot of money, uh, and also counselling services tend to cost money to run, and usually there's some kind of payment involved. But that's part of the boundaried nature of this relationship, that there's a real commitment on both sides to make it work. Relationship, this really is the key word in that definition. Now, why is it that relationship is so nourishing to us as human beings? Counselling is about the conscious use of a relationship to bring about therapeutic change in somebody's life. It's about the, the uh, development of a relationship which can be deeply nourishing to somebody. We are relational beings. We all grew inside somebody else. Our early relationships are absolutely vital to us. <laughs> of course, we can get to stages in our, our lives and go through circumstances where relationships become deeply disruptive and deeply painful. But because we are relational beings made in the image of God, who is a relationship in himself, God is love. He is a person in Trinity. Because he is like that and we are in his image, we, we are made to be in relationship, in positive, life-affirming, life-giving relationship with each other. And uh, when relationships have become disruptive, counselling can be a wonderful way of discovering what it's like to be in relationship with another human being in a deeply nourishing way. So that's the most important word there. And, uh, you know, you've got all these different schools of counselling out there. They've done a lot of research on which of them is more effective. Is one more effective than, other, than another? And, and uniformly, the research has come back saying, it doesn't matter what your counselling technique is, whether you apply this technique or adhere to that school or belong to this way of thinking. Uh, whatever your, your school of thought, it's the relationship that makes the difference. If there's a really good therapeutic relationship or working alliance, as it's sometimes called, between the counsellor and the client, that's what will affect therapeutic change. Okay, it's two for the good of one. Not two for the price of one, but two for the good of one. Two people who agree that the space wholly belongs to one of them. So that the counsellor isn't talking about their latest holiday or their problems at home. The space belongs wholly to the client, but both parties to this uh, contract are wholly available to each other. Well, maybe that's one of the things that's being worked on, is how the client can be wholly present in that space. What are the, what are the problems in the way of that? It's a psychologically aware space. Hopefully, the counsellor is bringing to that space some real awareness and, and insight and understanding about what makes us tick as human beings, what can go wrong, what happens when things go wrong for us emotionally or relationally, uh, and how things can be put right. So the psychological awareness that the counsellor brings to that space is, is really, really important. And finally, under supervision. That's really crucial and again is likely to distinguish counselling a little bit from pastoral care, although Will clearly exercises pastoral care for the uh, supervision rather of the people he's working with. Uh, supervision is absolutely vital here 
because we're dealing with very vulnerable people and possibly very complex issues and we need experts to support us, to give us their insight uh, and, to, and to form something of the safety net that all of this kind of work really requires. All right, so that's a little definition of what counselling is all about. Now, really, you can see how there are some differences here between that and more general sorts of pastoral care. Although another of the things that counsellors need to be really aware of is, is how their work can really help people and when it's important to refer people on to other uh, um, professionals in the field, you know, mental health professionals who might be able to bring, bring an expertise that counsellors just don't have. Okay, just a little survey now of what types of counselling there are out there. This may be old hat to, to lots of you here, but... Um, uh, maybe not to everybody. There are different types of counselling available out there, and I'm thinking now not just of uh, uh, Christian counselling, but of counselling generally, like, you know, the across the whole field. What sorts are there? Well, there's short-term counselling, which tends to focus on behaviours or distressing thoughts and feelings. This is becoming increasingly available in the NHS, now, as the, as the health service gets more of a vision for the usefulness of counselling, especially for treating anxiety disorders and depression, rather than medicating people, you know, GPs now are increasingly referring people for counselling, and usually it's CBT that people are getting, cognitive behavioural therapy, uh, which is focusing on thoughts and feelings and the relationship between them, and how people can gain a sense of mastery over their feelings by redirecting their thoughts. And CBT can be extremely useful and often works uh, surprisingly fast uh, to help people get back on their feet again uh, uh, when facing an emotional crisis. So that's available out there. But there are also lots of longer-term forms of, of counselling available. Not, not so much available on the health service, although in some areas you can, you can get psychotherapy on the health service, but not everywhere. Uh, and this would address deeper aspects of character and personality. You know, this would be the sort of situation where somebody says, I've tried CBT, but I simply cannot gain mastery over my, an my anxiety, and it's really ruining my life. You know, what can I do about it? Now, that person's looking for something that goes deeper into them. It's not just a matter of seeking to control emotions with thoughts, but actually get going deeper into the issues that underlie the persistent anxiety that they're experiencing, or whatever, whatever the issue might be. And there are lots of different psychotherapeutic schools out there. You can go and train in transactional analysis or in Gestalt, or, do, or can go and be a full psychoanalyst if you want to do that. Uh, you can become a person-centred counsellor. Loads of different schools all approaching it from a different perspective, and increasingly, actually now, uh, there's a, an, an, an integrative movement which seeks to draw on all these different schools and says, actually, it's the relationship that matters in the long run. Let's focus on what really works in counselling uh, and draw together insights from all these schools. So that's all going on out there, and counselling and psychotherapy is a growth industry in our country at the moment. There are loads of counselling trainings, um, more springing up all the time, and generally speaking, they, are, they tend to be really well subscribed. There are lots of people who want to get into this, who feel called into it, even, even if they're not Christians, uh, out of a desire to, to help and to, 
and to do something um, for all the needs that, that we're surrounded with. There are counselling for couples and, and relationships, not just for individuals. Uh, Relate is an organisation that works uh, countrywide uh, in, in, with couples, focusing on relationships and family life. Uh, there's a, a lot of group counselling going on out there too, which tends to be available uh, especially for, for uh, treating addictions. The 12-step programme is widely used for people with addictions and has a Christian basis to it. has a Christian background. It was formulated originally by, by Christians and is now widely used uh, in, in lots of secular settings too. Of course, counselling never replaces other mental health services. It really needs to work in harmony with other mental health services uh, and to know when counselling just isn't appropriate. That part of the training for counsellors needs to be to, to help us to be aware of when uh, we're just not up for this. We need the help of other people, psychiatrists particularly, who can come in uh, and help with medication. And that can be absolutely vital. Nor does counselling replace pastoral care. Now, you know, that's, it's absolutely vital, really, that people are also, if they're going to counselling, also being supported in other pastoral ways as well, especially if the problems are fairly acute. And churches have a fantastic role here to support people, to, not to be alone in their problems, to know that there are others who understand and who care who are ready to get alongside them and to support them, even if the, maybe the focus of, their, the, of the help being provided is a counselling relationship with somebody who uh, can really get alongside them in it. All right, so that's just a little overview of what counselling is and of the sorts of counselling available out there more generally today. Uh, what, I want to turn now to this question of Christian counselling. Against that background... What exactly is Christian counselling uh, as something that's a little bit different and special and the sort that we might be able distinctively to offer as Christians uh, in our society at the moment? Well, now, there's my straight answer to that. Christian counselling is all of the above with the addition of shared faith, dependence on the Holy Spirit and prayer. Now, that's, it seems to me that's it in a nutshell. Christian counselling isn't offering a distinct method of counselling. We find many Christians who are studying on these other trainings. Uh, in our course, we're essentially an integrative course. We're drawing on lots of stuff that can be really helpful in helping us to understand ourselves and the people that we're working with. Drawing on a lot of psychology. You know, people like... Kate Middleton, you can see exactly that sort of integration going on with her. She's drawing on her psychological training, but also on her sense of who God is, what the, the scriptures teach us about how human beings tick, and integrating it all into an integrated understanding of, of human beings and how we can help. So it's all of the above, all that stuff, uh, all those opportunities and openings and approaches and possibilities, with the addition of shared faith, if the client... I mean, I'm assuming there that we've got a, a Christian client and a Christian counsellor who are sharing their faith and their, their outlook on Jesus as they work together. Dependence on the Holy Spirit. 
so that the, the counselor is coming into the work, knowing that they're there by divine appointment, even if the client isn't a Christian. Counselor knows that they are there by divine call. This is what the Lord has led me to do. This is the life he's led me into. Uh, I, I just can't, you know, there's something about it that, that never ceases to amaze me. Uh, you know, if you told me 10 years ago, I would be here talking about Christian counseling to a gathering like this, I would have thought you were completely off your head. How could that be? You know, but God stepped into my life and has led me in a, this extraordinary direction that I never thought I would go in. And I don't think I'm alone, actually, in that. A lot of people uh, in, in our churches who are feeling led into this kind of pastoral care or counselling uh, in, a, in a, a way that really surprises them. And actually, who we are is basic to that. Our experience of who God is, our woundedness, our readiness to be vulnerable uh, with each other and, and with him and in our churches. You know, we don't go into, the, into this work from a position of strength, but from a position of weakness, knowing that our God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. And whatever clients we're sitting with, that's true. Our weakness is what qualifies us for this work. You know, when I interview students for our course at the college, I'm just so thrilled to be able to say to them that when they say, well, I, I don't know whether I'm, I'm really up to this course, you know, because I've been through all sorts of stuff in my life. I've been through a divorce. I've, I had an abortion as a child, as a teenager, and that really troubles me still. And I, you know, my life is still something of a mess, really. I say to them, welcome. Come on in. You know, this is the course where God makes use of all of that. You don't have to polish yourself up before you can get into this kind of training. You know, praise him, he uses our weaknesses because we go in as vulnerable human beings to be really human with other people who are attempting to be human and not finding it easy at all. Yeah, so to go in there in dependence on the Holy Spirit and prayer, knowing that we can pray, we've got the resources of prayer and maybe also, hopefully, the resources of a praying group behind us, you know, people who are supporting us in prayer. If we're working for a, a, a counselling agency set up by uh, maybe a group of local churches or within a particular local church, to know that there are others in the church who are praying for us and supporting this ministry in prayer, what a fantastic thing. So that's my first response. It might, might be taking place in a church setting. That might be something distinctive about uh, Christian counselling. I think it can certainly do so. There can be some problems around boundaries when you have counselling going on in, in a particular local church because it really is very important for the counselling relationship to work that it doesn't have aspects of ordinary friendship about it as well for the period of the work at any rate. that uh, Just within, within that time there's a boundary nature about the relationship so it can be a bit difficult if the counsellor is also worshipping as part of a community with, with clients dotted around the congregation as well. It could be, could be but, but those difficulties can be overcome, it seems to me. And there's a, a lot to be said for having a counselling ministry based within a local church, perhaps particularly in a larger church rather than a, a smaller one. It can be happening in a, a parachurch organisation. There are quite a lot of places in the country now where churches in a particular locality have got together and have uh, formed a counselling service to serve 
a wider area, not identified with any one of the churches, but supported by a whole group. And that's, that's possibly the best way of doing it. A uh, fantastic way of serving a local community. And of course, Christians can come from local churches into that service, knowing that what they share will be completely confidential. It won't be getting back to the vicar or the church leadership. Uh, there won't be any leaking going on here because it's right out of the, the uh, uh, setting where they, they normally worship. Christian counselling isn't really suitable as a form of evangelism, I think I'd want to say to you, except as an expression of care. You know, this is, this is the Church of Jesus Christ, reaching out in love to the world, uh, but doing it in a way that isn't attempting to convert people, because that's, that's evangelism and counselling isn't evangelism. It's, uh, it's looking deeply into people's lives and, and attempting to stand alongside them as they wrestle with whatever is going on for them. Of course, while they do that, they might get really interested in spiritual things and begin to ask radical questions for themselves. And of course, the Christian counsellor can be there to help with that too. But the agenda is wholly the client's in this form of ministry. Uh, and... Uh, and we, we go into that, ready to respect that agenda and not to oppose any agenda of our, impose any agenda of our own, even though we might be really longing that they should find Jesus and a living faith. Um, that's not the agenda of the work. We're with them to support them in whatever they're facing at this moment. So what difference does it make that it's Christian counselling? This is my next uh, heading and just a series of little comments here. Yes, it's framed by prayer. I think that is so important, uh, that it's not done in a, a secular way that ignores the fact that this world belongs to the Lord and that the kingdom of God is reaching out into the world. This is counseling, Christian counseling ministry, it seems to me, is an expression of the kingdom of God. Just think of all those people who were touched by the ministry of Jesus and the presence of the kingdom through his ministry, but never actually became disciples of his, who heard about the miracles, who maybe even were healed by him through his ministry, but never became disciples. The kingdom of God touched their lives. Now that's happening all around us now. You know, as churches make a difference in a locality, the kingdom of God is among us. And even if people never actually respond to Jesus Christ and come to faith in him, they can be touched by the presence of the kingdom. And that's what this sort of uh, ministry is all about in many places. Framed by prayer, maybe subsidized by the local church. It really is very sad that only uh, briefer forms of counseling are available on the health service. And if you want to go deeper and deal with more profound issues, then, generally speaking, you've got to pay. Well, that, that is socially divisive. It means that you only get it if you can pay. So it's wonderful that in many places there are counselling services subsidised by churches so that low-cost counselling is available for people who really can't pay very much at all. Relational connection in the spirit. I'm thinking here now of... of uh, you know, where, where both the, the counsellor and the client have a shared faith. And it's possible, therefore, for uh, an openness to the Spirit to be part of what's going on relationally 
in the room. Now, that, that, you know, there's no prescription about what impact that would have because it could be different for each client, but my goodness, what a difference that can make. There's the possibility of prayer together. Of course, that needs, needs to be handled very carefully because uh, if the counsellor is the one who pray, prays, does that put them in a position of, of some power or authority? Do their prayers work better because this is the counsellor praying rather than the client? So, you know, if I, if I pray with a, with a client, we always talk about it in advance. What will we pray about precisely? What do we want to ask God for? Who will pray? Will we both pray or will it just be me? Uh, and then having done it, we'll debrief afterwards. You know, what was it like for us to, to pray together like that? What did it do for our relationship? Uh, what expectations do we now have? What difference has it made to our relationship that we prayed together? So it's, you know, it's, in that sense, counselling is very different from prayer ministry where you would just plunge in and ask. And the vital thing is that, you know, God is being brought into this situation. When it's being done in a counselling setting, you need to take very careful care of the, of the way it's affecting the relationship in the room because that's the focus of the work. But it's there and it can be done and it's part of the resources that we, we bring. And then, of course, also drawing on the nourishment of Scripture uh, and the rediscovery of God. You know, for, for many Christian clients, their faith is... Certainly something they bring with them into the room, but also possibly part of the problem. You know, I, I've, I was, I've always been brought up as a Christian, but, but now I don't feel what I used to feel. You know, everybody else around me is ra raising their hands and worshipping the Lord, and I'm standing in the middle of the church feeling completely dead. I'm not touched anymore by it. What's going on for me? Is there something wrong with me? Or maybe... Uh, they've lived all their life with a rather punitive view of God. You know, God as a, as a punishing figure rather than as a loving, merciful father. You know, I've had clients for whom that's been, that's been an issue. Um, I always feel that God is displeased with me. So I'm always trying hard, to, but messing up and then thinking, oh no, Lord, I failed again. So God is a sort of punitive, critical figure. Now, this is where, of course, the scriptures can can be really nourishing because, you know, through the scriptures we can, we can help to share a much more nourishing and wholesome uh, view of God, a much truer view of God. It is the truth that sets us free, after all, as we heard earlier on. And a true view of God is something that can be really nourishing and releasing. But again, it needs to be done carefully within the relationship. Who is the authority here? Is the counsellor bringing out this big black Bible and pointing to verses? You know, who's, who's, who's acting authoritatively? What does that say to the client if the counsellor is taking an, an authoritative teaching kind of position in the relationship? Maybe that's been the problem. They've always felt diminished, uh, uh, being beaten over the head with a big black Bible. Need to discover their own strength, their own uh, sense of self. Okay, so those are some of the differences that it makes that this is Christian counselling we're, we're talking about. How can counselling fit into uh, local church ministry? That's my, my next question. Well, it can reach out. It can be a service to the locality. Uh, the Evangelical Alliance has really set that as an agenda for us, I think, as 
as evangelical churches in this country in recent years. How can we serve the communities of which we are a part? And some churches have felt called to offer counselling service as part of the, their service to the locality. As I say, it can be a cooperative ministry between groups of churches. Of course, it can work within too as a support to pastoral care. This can be something much more long-term, you see. It can offer something that a pastoral care team, which is spread much more thinly and therefore doesn't have the time for, very often, for this sort of regular weekly work that could go on over months or even years, uh, it can offer something extra alongside a pastoral uh, care ministry in a local church uh, that can be either on staff or by using services uh, drawn in from outside. I think if a councillor is on the staff of a church, it's probably really important that they're not part of the leadership team, that they're kept a bit separate so that confidentiality can be absolutely obscure. Uh, uh, insured and be seen to be insured, you know, if the councillor is going to the staff meeting every week, all the clients will begin to think, what's, what's she saying when she gets in there? I think that counselling can be a regular resource for Christian growth. And I suppose this is one of my, my absolute passions, really, that we should think of counselling as a way of, an, an, a normal way, of, of uh, resourcing our own growth as people and as Christians. Uh, it's not just about crisis. It's about taking yourself seriously as a child of God. It's, it's about not sweeping your feelings under the carpet. It's about not ignoring that area of your life which you know is problematic and you don't know what to do about it, but it's much easier not to think about it. It's about taking seriously who you are right now and, and saying, right, okay, I'm not going to ignore that any longer. I'm going to do something about it. Uh, so to think of counselling as a regular resource for Christian growth available to Christian people is really to take discipleship seriously. You know, it matters how we are as people in this world. Uh, the Christian life is not just about reaching out and serving others. It's about having a relationship ourselves with Jesus Christ and about living well in the relationships that he's put us into, our family relationships, our immediate work colleagues and friends. But what's going on in those areas? How are we discipled in them? Are we doing okay or not? Are there areas that we really feel we need to address? You know, counselling can be a fantastic resource to address issues that are there for us. And I think especially for ministers. My goodness me, I'm, I'm really passionate about this. You know, I've had some, some wonderful counselling relationships with ministers. Uh, people who are, in many cases, deeply troubled about what's going on in their lives and about how they're functioning in the ministry, about what comes up, to, up for them as they face the pressures of ministry. Uh, day by day, uh, and, and the issues that are around relationships in leadership teams and so on, and in families. This is, this is just so important. And if it could be part of our culture in the church, that it's okay for ministers to go and get counselling. It's not a sign of defeat or weakness. It's actually a sign of strength because they're taking themselves seriously 
And they want to be well-resourced as people in the work that God's called them to. So I think that's really, really important. Now just finally, a few thoughts on perils and pitfalls. I'm thinking here of uh, uh, some of the sort of questions out there that I've encountered in different places about uh, counselling and local churches and whether um, there are difficulties here, whether it's really right, in fact. The first one is the question, does having uh, a relationship where everything has been boundaried off undermine Christian fellowship? Uh, I mean, here's a a person who's taking all their stuff to a counsellor, and uh, they're not talking about their stuff more generally in the church or in their home group or with others in the the fellowship. Isn't that actually undermining Christian fellowship? Because it's saying, well, actually, you know, it's it's not appropriate or right to talk about your things in the church. Shouldn't fellowship actually be able to deal with all these things? If our, if our fellowship was, was real and properly nourishing, and we're not just putting on a grin, but we're really being honest with ourselves and supporting each other in the real issues, shouldn't Christian fellowship be able to deal with, with the issues that we face rather than taking them off to a, to a counsellor? Well, I think there's a lot of truth in that. And our fellowship does need to be much more real in our churches. We need to be able to say, I'm feeling rotten this week, and this is why. Uh, and to share that openly with each other. Uh, But at the same time, there is something about the expertise and the special nature of the counselling relationship, which can give something that fellowship certainly can't, even in churches where fellowship is working really well, and there are good pastoral relationships in home groups. Secondly, what about this one? I went to counselling and it made me worse. Have you heard that one? I think I've experienced it, actually. In several, several points in my life, is you go to counselling and you discover all sorts of stuff that maybe you'd rather not have discovered. Uh, but maybe that's what God wants you to discover, actually. Um, you know, I sometimes say this to clients if I feel that it's going to be true for them. You may find initially that you feel worse as part of this process. Uh, you know, because... Some of your defences are coming down. I, mean, I might not put it like that to them, but, you know, people have managed really well in their lives and, and the management is beginning to crumble and they've come to counselling. Well, it could be actually that the management is going to crumble a little bit more because they need to expose what's lying underneath. Really painful stuff. So it can be true that people go to counselling, it makes them worse. And, of course, if they give up at that point when it's become worse, they'll go out saying that. <coughs> And that actually would be really sad and, uh, and, you know, and heartbreaking, actually, that they would start on a process that actually holds out so much promise for them and yet break it off. Is counselling ignoring the work of the Holy Spirit? I suppose I think I've got a particular thought in mind here, which is that actually the work of the Holy Spirit is about us acknowledging our weaknesses. The Holy Spirit actually first and foremost isn't, isn't there to bolster us up and make us powerful because as far as the Holy Spirit is concerned, God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. But counselling, of course, can be about empowering people. And certainly with CBT, you know, the, 
version that's available so much on the health service now. That's all about getting people to have to sense mastery over their emotions and to efface their weaknesses. So is it actually counter Holy Spirit, this sort of ministry? Well, now I think, I think I'd want to say in some, in some expressions, CBT can be uh, against the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, but maybe precisely because actually CBT can cover up stuff as well as helping people to, to get into uh, a sense of mastery over themselves. Uh, it can cover up deeper issues and, and not, not really deal with them. The Holy Spirit wants us to go deep. And if we don't go deep and we stay on the surface, then we won't be really responding to what the Spirit is doing in us. Uh, so uh, there is a, there's a kind of a yes and a no, I think, in my response to, to that one. Um, fundamentally, the sort of counselling and psychotherapy that I'm thinking of is deeply in line with the work of the Holy Spirit, who wants to bring us into a much deeper relationship with ourselves and with each other and with Jesus Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing in us. Does counselling downgrade the significance of sin by saying, it wasn't your fault really, it was your mother who beat you? That's where the problem lies. You know, you were ignored and neglected as a child and that's why you're now addicted to pornography. Well, now that's putting it all very, very crudely, but you get, you get the picture, don't you? Does it downgrade the significance of sin? Well, now, in my experience, absolutely not. It certainly doesn't. It doesn't downgrade the significance of sin to ask about the causes of sin and what lies underneath it. Why people have weaknesses in certain areas of their lives. Uh, to label sin as weakness is to do exactly what St. Paul does in Romans chapter 5. While we were weak, he says, Christ died for us. And he uses weak there right alongside calling us sinners. Sin is a weakness, and to, to see it as a weakness is not to downgrade its significance in any way at all. It's to be real about what it actually is. Does, does counselling downgrade the power of the word to change people? I've heard this from pastors who've said, uh, actually, we simply need to attend to the faithful preaching of the word of God. That's what will change people. If people will really listen to it, then it will transform their lives. And so we need to train not counsellors, but preachers who will be able to do that properly. Now, uh, you know, I don't know what you would think about that one, but my response to that one would be, well, yes, that's great. Let's, by all means, train up wonderful preachers who can really preach the word of God. I suppose I'm interested in the people who listen to sermons Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, and it just doesn't go in. There's a blockage there somewhere. It doesn't sink from their heads to their hearts. And often there's a, you know, there's a, a kind of a, an acceptance of truth in the head that doesn't affect the rest of people's lives. You know, how often have, have you heard that? How often have I heard that? I believe it in my head, but it doesn't just feel true somehow. What's the blockage? That's what I'm really interested in uh, from a counselling perspective. Now, just to finish with, some quotes... I went and grabbed three students uh, in, around our college and said, give me a quote. What has counselling done for you? And uh, so this is entirely random. Counselling really helped me to come to terms with the death of my father. 
I didn't go into the story or what the, what the issues there were, but there was something really practical and deep and profound and really important, you know, for that person. Here's another one. I value counselling because it has opened the door to self-understanding for me. Isn't that great? I feel so, so encouraged by that. It's someone who didn't understand themselves, but through counselling has, has come to know themselves much more deeply. What a precious gift that is. And then here's another one. Counselling uncovered areas of hurt I didn't know were there. This is going really deep, isn't it? You know, I, I, I wasn't... A, it's, it's kind of going on a bit further from the second one, I think, in some ways. I discovered that there was a woundedness in me that I didn't know about. You know, I was keeping at bay. There was a def the defences set up to, to protect me from seeing my own woundedness. And then it helped me to find freedom from my automatic defences. There's something really profound about that, isn't there? That's what counselling is, is all about. Okay, well, gosh, our time has nearly gone. There's only about two minutes left. Maybe we've got time for, for maybe for one, one or perhaps two questions before you zoom off and have some lunch. Any, any quick, quick comments or thoughts? There's a, some, have we got a microphone? Yeah, there's some hands at the front here. Just go to a hand near you. <laughs> um, my daughter's suffering from quite severe depression, has been all of this year, really, and I'd love her to be able to access some Christian counselling. Yeah. She lives down in Bristol. Is there a, is there a good way of finding a, a Christian counsellor? Uh, yes, yes, there are, there are methods you can follow to do that. And I think there is a Christian counselling service in Bristol, if I remember rightly. The Association of Christian Counselors. Yeah. They have a stand down in the exhibition hall. Oh, okay. Go down there and find them. Okay. And they publish a directory of Christian counselling. Okay. Uh, in, in association with Premier Radio, so Jonathan could tell you about this as well. Thank you. And that includes both both Christian counselors and Christian counselling services. So they, they can kind of could possibly give you the helpful information. Hi. In the first part of your talk about uh, what counselling is, mm. um, I didn't pick up anything about whether or not the counsellor is trained. Oh, right, OK. Yes, I was, I was sort of... This. Thank you. That possibly I should put that word in as well. <laughs> That's absolutely vital, you know. I suppose it's part of the psychological awareness that the counsellor will bring to, to the work. And training is absolutely vital for that. You know, they're not going to be able to bring the sort of psychological awareness I'm thinking of to the work unless they've gone through a really solid, a solid um, uh, training programme. And the government at the moment is about to regulate training for counsellors and psychotherapists uh, next year sometime. You're not going to be able to call yourself a counsellor or a psychotherapist unless you've had training to a defined level. They're, they haven't actually said yet what the level will be and it maybe it's all going to get held up but it's looking like you're going to have to have a foundation degree minimum to be a counsellor and you're going to have to have a master's degree minimum to be a psychotherapist. So the training requirements are, are pretty solid. Yeah. Have we time? Should we? I think we better go for lunch, actually. It's one o'clock. You've worked so hard to this morning. Uh, well done, everybody. And I think Jonathan would say, back in here at two o'clock. Is that right? Yeah. <clears throat>